this movie movie illustrates the truth uh, that people are longing to view themselves differently and have others view themselves differently. View them differently. They long to, for others to see differently their potential. And through Jesus, we have an opportunity to meet that need. An opportunity to share real potential difference in people's lives. Open your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11. If you have a Bible that you found here in the theater, it will be on page 827. Page 827. 2 Corinthians 5, 11. Last week, we started a, a new mini-series, just for the, probably just through the rest of August at the, at the most, we're going to be doing this, called Sharing God's Gospel. And the gospel is the good news of Jesus that through trusting our lives to him, we might know God, God the Father, both now and eternally. The gospel, as we saw last week, is primarily about God. Remember, he is our primary motive for sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus with other people. It's primarily about God, the gospel is, but it's also, obviously, about other people. And how we relate to others depends greatly on how we perceive them. Our thoughts, our judgments, our feelings about them come into play. And we're going to look at this this morning. Today's sermon is entitled, God's Perception, My Perception. Read with me if you would. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 11 through 21. Our focus this morning will be on verses 16 and 17. God's Word. Paul speaks to the church of Corinth. He says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. If we are beside ourselves or a little bit crazy, a little bit loopy. It is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. It is great, it is holy, it is effectual. It is a seed which within us produces life. And your word says in Deuteronomy, Let my teaching fall like rain, and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. Lord, may your teaching this morning, through your word, through my words, fall like rain, descend like dew, nourish us, help us this week as we try to share the gospel with people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me give you a little roadmap of where we're heading this morning in the sermon, uh, so you can follow along. I'm going to tease out a little bit about what the, the Apostle Paul has in mind from what we just read. We're then going to consider what should this new perspective on people really look like. And finally, and thirdly, we're going to examine what should we now do about it. What are we going to actually go out and do about it? So first, let's start with Paul, who used this word flesh in verse 16 two times. It's a key term mentioned twice in this verse, verse 16. But what does Paul mean by flesh and looking at people according to the flesh? Because personally, I see everyone according to the flesh. I look at you, I see flesh. I don't have those little x-ray uh, glasses. I bought some of those when I was younger for a dollar, and they didn't work. You remember those little things that say x-ray glasses on them? Yeah, they didn't work. Uh, everyone is clothed in skin. And that's how we see people. Even cyborgs. Remember in those Terminator movies? You know, they're always clothed in skin until John Connor or someone torched them. And then they just had steel underneath and red eyes. And you hated them. But anyhow, everyone looks at everyone according to the flesh. You know, their skin's right in front of me. So what does this idea mean? What is Paul saying? Well, this is a big word in the New Testament. In fact... In the New International Version of the Bible, the NIV, it uses 48 different English words and phrases for this one Greek word, sarks. 48 different words and phrases because it's used in so many different kinds of contexts. All right? And it can connotate all kinds of different things. It can mean weakness of the human body in Ephesians 6.12. It can be just referred to physical skin. Like when the Apostle John in 1 John 4 was trying to prove that Jesus is God in the flesh. All right, it can refer to an orientation of pleasing oneself, where you hear gratify the flesh, Romans 8.8. 8. But here, the NIV gets a different sense, and I think they get it right. Give credit to the NIV here if you've got that Bible with you. That the flesh is really according to a worldly point of view. Looking at someone according to a worldly point of view. That's the idea here. It's contrasting looking at someone from a worldly sense, kind of what you see is what you get, and an eternal sense, all right? A fleshly sense and a spiritual sense. That's the contrast here. So, how does this affect Paul? Well, it affects his perception of Christ. As we see in verse 16, he says, Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, from that worldly point of view, we do so no longer. Formerly, Paul's view of Jesus was non-spiritual, non-eternal. Like many pre-Christians today. 
And I say pre-Christians, by which when I say pre-Christian, I mean those who haven't yet trusted their lives to Jesus, but we are praying with anticipation that they will. And so I'm starting to call people who don't know Jesus pre-Christians, because I'm praying to become a Christian. Anyway, that's the side note. Paul viewed man, like many pre-Christians, Paul viewed man who voluntarily died in the most humiliating, debasing, incriminating death possible, which was crucifixion. He viewed someone who did this as foolish. It was no way indicative of someone who claimed to be coming to save the world. I thought, what is this guy doing? He's He's a loon. He's a nut. And he's claiming to be God. Now, unlike many pre-Christians today, Paul adopted this view being highly religious. Alright, he was a Jew among Jews. He loved God's law. And it was from God's law that he read this in Deuteronomy 21. He knew this well. Deuteronomy 21, 23, the law says, the body must never remain on the tree overnight. This is referring to someone who is killed or hanged. You must bury the body that same day. For anyone hanging on a tree is cursed of God. And you better believe that applied to people who hung on a wooden stick, crucified. Cursed of God. This is fulfilling the law. This man is cursed. To Paul, Christ was an enemy of his faith and his God. But later, when Paul trusted his life to Jesus... The Holy Spirit came into his life and made him a new person on the inside. A new creation, as we read in verse 17. And when he became a new creation, he adopted an eternal spiritual perspective. Watch what he does with this idea of someone hanging on a tree through Christ. Galatians 3.13, he writes the church of Galatia saying this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Do you see that? Well, see, what Paul's saying here is the law condemns us because we can't follow it. No one can follow it perfectly. We all mess up. But Jesus follows every iota of the law and became a curse so that we wouldn't be cursed for not being able to follow the law. God's righteous judgment. Do you see that? So the curse had spiritual potential. God was going to use it spiritually, but Paul couldn't see it because he himself was not spiritual before coming to faith in Christ. But when he had spiritual eyes and an eternal perspective through Jesus, this helped Paul go from once viewing Jesus as a man cursed because of his sin to viewing Jesus as a God-man cursed for our sin. You see that? Cursed for his sin. Just a man. But through trust in Jesus and the Holy Spirit he sees no. A God man cursed for our sin. New perspective. Not only did Paul's perception of God change, his perception of others changed. He said we no longer regard anyone according to the flesh. In verse 16, Paul's perception of others changed. This is connected very much to the fact that throughout 2 Corinthians, if you read this letter that Paul writes, 
He's addressing misperceptions that others are telling the church of Corinth about him. There are these people who are rising up in the church who are trying to make a big name for themselves who are accusing Paul of being weak. Look at him, he's weak. That he didn't have a booming voice like the great rhetoricians of the day. That he even stuttered. They're saying, man, this is your pastor? Seriously? How can this dude be him? Right? I mean, he couldn't even be employed to speak for British Petroleum. It's that bad, right? Come on, contemporary joke. I know you love it. All right, so perhaps this has happened to you in your life, right? You've walked into a church. Right? It's going to be in many forms. Well, you walk into a church, you looked at the guy, you heard him for about 30 seconds, and you thought, seriously? This is what I'm getting this morning? Really? Now, you may have thought that about, you may have thought that when you first heard me. And, uh, and I mean it. I mean, you did. I actually, I, you know, I consider myself a very average speaker at best. Um, you know, I love preaching, but an average speaker at best. I, I prefer writing. I love to write. But God has a different approach in how to view people. Not simply for taking them as they are, but for that spiritual potential. God's approach is this. Or follow, follow me on this. God's approach is to perceive others with spiritual eyes in light of eternity. Viewing everything in terms of eternity. There's something bigger going on, something greater, something we can't see just looking at someone according to the flesh, hearing what they say, looking at what they do. To make up for my British Petroleum comment, I will give praise to a British author, C.S. Lewis, who said this, it is a serious thing to live in a society of gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to. Alright, get that person in your mind. You know who he is. Or she is. Uh, the most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. In other words... An angelic kind of figure. Or else, he says, or else a horror and corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. The potential, spiritual potential of going, obviously, to an eternity spent in hell. And he says, all day long, we are in some degree helping each other toward one or the other of these destinations. I love this image, this spiritual potential image of each person. Right? If we saw the person for who they really are in the spiritual realm, in the internal perspective, this is what we would see. Creatures almost worthy of worship or creatures we'd see only in a nightmare or in the worst horror movie. Paul's perception of others, but he also... The way he perceived God helped change the way he perceived himself. Verse 17, Paul's perception of himself. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Right? The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Paul is saying, I'm no longer, I'm no longer a former Jew, nor an overachiever, nor an unathletic, below average speaker. I'm a new creation. See, not only, he would say, did my perception of myself change. 
I am changed. His very person, his soul, his heart, his spirit changed. Now in an age when presentations prefer to substance, when uh, looks are preferred to longevity, you may have heard this phrase, don't mistake perception for reality. You ever heard that phrase? Don't mistake your perception for reality. But this sermon, if I could describe it in a nutshell, it would be this. Perception might change reality. So we're going to see this morning that perception might change reality through Jesus. As we saw with Paul, one's perception of Jesus, when that changes, it changes your perception of yourself. We saw that with Paul. Which in turn determines how you perceive others and begin to relate to them. We know this from life, right? We can fake relating to people nicely for a while, right? But eventually, they're going to unnerve us. We're going to be tempted to talk about them behind their back. We're going to get frustrated with them. We need a new perception through spiritual eyes. But to get a new perception, we need to become a new creation, a new person. And to become a new person, we have to trust in who Jesus really is and have a right perception of him. Do you see this? Your perception might be the catalyst God uses to change their reality. It might be the very thing God uses to change their reality. We're going to see what this looks like. What should this new perspective on people really look like in real life? That's what we're going to talk about now. This is where this gets fun. All right? Start to think about this with people we know, right? With ourselves, putting ourselves in situations. What does it look like to view people spiritually in light of eternity? I thought about this. Uh, you have a lot of thought, a lot of uh, reading, a lot of prayer to this question this week. Because we want to view people from an eternal perspective. Right? Seeing the spiritual potential in them. But, then we want to take what's eternal and connect it with real earthly people. Right? Uh, too often, we don't do that as Christians. Right? That we, we think about the eternal, we talk to people about the eternal, and it sounds like some type of gerbily gash, right? Some foreign language. We use words like, we're talking to someone who doesn't know Jesus, and we say things like, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And someone says, I don't, I don't know what that means. I, I get creatine at the GNC down here to get strong. That's what I do, right? Or you say things like, and this is not theologically wrong, but we say to people, oh, how do you know God? By the blood of the Lamb. Or say by the blood... Well, you talk to, say that to someone who doesn't know Jesus, they're going to think you're crazy. Maybe part of a cult. Did you steal my lamb and kill it? That's, that's nuts, right? But we talk about eternal things, and we try to relate them in ways that oftentimes people don't understand. How can we connect eternal realities to earthlings? Right? And it dawned on me. There are three eternal things that all human beings experience. Everyone. Everyone in here. Everyone outside these doors. And they experience them both here on earth and in heaven. If you know Jesus, especially in heaven. And those three things are faith, hope, and love. Right? 
faith, hope, and love. You may know this from the famous passage that's always read at, wed- read at weddings. You may even find it on like a, like you're in the bathroom and someone has it in a mirror in the bathroom, something like that, you know. One of those deals. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, Paul says this. There are three things that will endure. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. These three things, faith, hope, and love, exist now, right? That's implied. It's implied there in that verse. That's why it says endure. These three things exist now, but will endure in eternity. Faith, hope, and love exist for every person. They're a connecting point for every person. But the object of faith, hope, and love is different in many cases for people. But through the gospel, we hope to see people put faith in Jesus, to put their hope in Jesus, to love Jesus. Jesus becomes the object of their faith and their hope and their love. So, I'm encouraging us this morning to perceive others in terms of faith, hope, and love from an eternal perspective. This is a connecting point. It's not the only connecting point. It's a connecting point we can use, though, in relating eternity to others. And it does two things. Perceiving others in terms of faith, hope, and love does two things. It's going to give you an extra measure of compassion towards people. Alright, you'll start relating to them differently. Loving them more. Secondly, it's going to help you identify idols. Maybe an idol in their life. Discern or identify idols, which are an obstacle to the gospel. They're things that block us from loving, hoping, and putting our faith in Jesus. Because they're things that we put our faith in, hope in, and love instead of Jesus. That makes sense? Got me so far? Alright, I'm excited about this here. We're going to look at each one here. We're going to look at faith first. Faith, hope, and love. Look at faith. Faith drastically affects how we view God. It's crucial. In fact, it's the one requirement for being a Christian. It's faith or trust. Affects the way we view God. We put our faith in God to work despite dreadful circumstances in our life, right? We put our faith that He alone can do something good in and through me. We have faith that he alone can help me and we trust and have faith that he gives gifts and talents to use for others' benefits. Alright? So this affects our view of God. It also affects our view of self and others. Follow me on this here. If I need Jesus to do good, if all the good in me is is Jesus and there's great good, he's called me his child, his son, adopted into his family. If I need Jesus to do good, So does she. If I need Jesus to recognize that my intellect, my compassion, my being honest aren't something that I produced and that I did to my credit, but are gifts, then so does he. Do you see that? A spiritual perspective gives you a measure of compassion that you'd be otherwise powerless to show because you realize that without your faith in Jesus, you'd be the same as that person gives you compassion. Now, if you were to look at such a person according to the flesh, a person who put their faith in something other than Jesus, they might look like this. They wouldn't open up or be vulnerable. They appear cocky in their abilities, right? Super confident. Right? Always give you that little smirk. <laughs> right? One of those. 
right? Or on the opposite end, they utterly lack any confidence, right? Because they have their faith in nothing. They have no faith at all. Sometimes a person who has faith in the wrong object has an attitude of unwillingness to receive help, right? Never wanting to be helped by other people because they can't trust. They no faith. Or only trust themselves. Friends, the issue here is folks have faith, but the object of faith is just off target. It's not eternal. It's not Jesus. The object of faith in this case is themselves or nothing. Alright? And maybe this is your situation this morning. And if so, man, I pray God uses this gospel this morning to reach your heart. But I want us to see this. We're going to look at each thing here. But we are able to see to identify that it's either self or, or despair that becomes the idol. This becomes the object of one's faith. So see, we've, we've gained compassion for people, for this person. We've identified an idol in their life. Let's look at hope. We'll look at each of these. Hope is crucial for how we view God. We hope in Him who promises something that lasts. We hope in Him because He helps keep me going. Because He is working for my good always. Through Jesus, I get to experience power and participate in this divine plan that unfolds more and more each day. And don't you hope in something like that? Man, I hope God's going to do something great. I put my hope that He is going to do something great. That I'm a part of His divine plan that's going to go unravel little by little more each day. Our hope is in God and it changes the way we perceive Him and ourselves. But how does it change the way we view self and others? If I needed God to wake me up to the fact that eternal or earthly pleasures fade away, doesn't He also need that? If I needed Jesus to realize that I never follow rules perfectly. Doesn't she also? If the Holy Spirit had to show me that other people will eventually disappoint and fail me at some point, why should she understand that without hope in Jesus? Again, from a spiritual perspective, God gives us compassion and we start to relate to them differently. If we were to look at such a person who put their hope in something other than Jesus according to the flesh, we would say they're vain, right? They care only about money and success. They spend excess time exercising, right? Working. They spend all their time with one person, right? Because they put their hope in those things. We're able to identify, again, their object of hope is a drift from the person and promises of Jesus. The object of their hope are feelings, experiences, performances. Either their own performance or others. They hope in these things. I know I've hoped in these things many times in my life. Finally, love. Look at love and think about this with folks you know. Love radically changes our view of God. God is love. And he calls us his beloved, his bride. We love God because his love endures. We love God because his love brings freedom and not guilt, shame, obligation. We love God because his love was proven, wasn't it? Through the cross of Christ. 
How has it changed the way we view self and others? Well, if I sought out love at one point in my life, if I sought out a love that didn't satisfy and I lusted where I should have loved, why wouldn't my coworker do the same? Right? If I love something so much that it enslaved me, why am I horrified that he struggles with the same problem? If before becoming God's beloved, I lived in fear, I lived in fear that others would abandon me, why shouldn't someone else fear the same when they haven't trusted Jesus? Does that make sense? Again, you see ways in which each of these connections, faith, hope, and love, can give us a different perspective on people. And in giving us that different perspective, that eternal perspective, we begin to show compassion to them and relate to them differently. Now, from a fleshy perspective, a person who doesn't love Jesus, they're often, we call them, narcissistic. They talk about themselves. They look only out for self. They seek only self-pleasure, hedonism, we would call it, right? They become infatuated with weird things, right? Like little hobbies and stuff. They have love, but the object of love is themselves or something that the self can get lost in. Do you see that? We've identified an idol in their life. Now, you came this morning. You should have got a bulletin. Just have that with you. I want you to take out a pen. If you have a pen around you or, or near you, you know someone who has a pen. I want you to write down the names of two pre-Christian people you know. All right? Two people who have yet to trust their life to Jesus. But you want them to. You're praying that they would. All right? Write down two names. All right? Two people. And if you don't have two people, I would encourage you uh, in fact, I'll, I'll give you permission as a pastor this week to attend a local establishment after work and get to know someone who doesn't know Jesus, all right? Do that this week. I want to encourage us, with the Spirit's help, to take time this week and discern an idol in their life that has become an obstacle to the gospel. I'm going to provide you with three questions, and one of these three questions will help us. They're going to help us because each person, whether they know it or not, is asking or dealing with one of these three questions in their life. Alright? This person, those two people you wrote down are dealing with one of these three questions. Here we go. It's related to faith, hope, and love. The first one is, will it work? Is this working in my life? Faith. Faith is related to something working in such a way that brings results. Will it work is the main question here. Because see, this person has either put them faith, their faith in themselves to work, something to work for them, or has resigned themselves to the notion that nothing will work in their life. And I'm praying that God will help you reach out to that person in such a way that connects the eternal with the earthly. The eternal with their situation. Alright, so you may ask a question related to does it work. One of my favorite questions is the Dr. Phil question, alright? Uh, don't agree with everything Dr. Phil says, but one of the questions he always uses, which can open a spiritual conversation, is how's that working out for you? Or how's that working for you? Right? You take a moment and just ask, how's that working for you these days? Or maybe you notice they're having trouble with something. You know, you say, I notice you're having trouble with this person. Or 
you're having trouble with that banana tree. <laughs> All right? May I help? Right? You offer to help them. And depending on the response at the appropriate time, you inquire, man, it seems, man, it seems like it's hard for you to receive help. And yeah, that takes a little boldness to ask that. But this is how you develop relations with people. You start to make inroads for the gospel. Or, man, it seems like it's, it's hard for you. Maybe you lack confidence in doing this. Second question. Will it last? This is the question of hope. Because people are hoping in things that bring them pleasure and they want them repeated over and over again. They want it to last. That's why people love encores. Right? When you go to a concert, you want your favorite song to play and you don't mind if they play it for 12 minutes. Because people want it to last. They want pleasure to last. This person has hoped in an earthly pleasure to satisfy. They've hoped in the acclaim of others. They've hoped in objects shiny and full of promise. And I'm praying God uses you, friend, to make a gospel connection with them. To make a connection between the glory of eternity and their false hope. You might mention to them, hey, I notice, hey, I notice you do a really good job saving up money. And what do you plan to do with it? I'm just curious. Start to have a conversation. You ask them, you know, what in your life do you wish you still had? Or what in your life do you wish you could still do? You start a conversation about issues of hope. Final question, will it fulfill? It's a question of love. This person is confused, lust for love, infatuation with genuine love, loves all things self, or can no longer love because of a lack of personal experience with it, sadly. I'm praying for you that you can make a connection from the eternal to earth. Maybe just be a listening ear for that person and ready to respond when problems are confided in you. Maybe be willing to share what you genuinely love on the one hand but what you've lusted after on the other hand. Something that plagues you. Something that you're infatuated with other than Jesus. People want to be asked. They want to be known. They want to be seen differently. Brian and Carrie Lowers uh, are some of the founding members of Sunrise Community Church, and they're going to be leaving the island at the end of September. We're going to miss them greatly. They've been a huge contribution to our church. We'll be doing something uh, kind for them to just honor them and pray for them. Anyway, I met with uh, Brian this last week, and he was handing me off, handing off a bunch of files and stuff, and I hand, put it on one of those external hard drives. It's good fun. And all these files were pictures, and I just started looking through the pictures this week. And I was just starting to enjoy them. I was looking through them fondly. Because I started realizing all the different kinds of people who have come through this church. In fact, it reminded me of one of the qualities, one of the graces at work here in Sunrise that I fell in love with the first time I visited back here last October. And that is this people, this church, has a desire and expectation an expectation to see spiritual potential in anyone who walks through those doors. They see the potential. They see the eternal working in someone. And they long to make the connection. You have longed to make the connection. Come as you are has been a kind of slogan of ours. But through spiritual eyes, 
We say, come as you are through spiritual eyes. We pray that he'd leave knowing God. Come as you are, but leave more like him in light of eternity. We also cannot be a church that only asks people to come as they are. We must be a church that goes out and brings come as you are to a world that is longing to be seen differently. That is longing to be given another chance to be viewed as something greater. An eternal chance that might bring a new reality. And friends, I'm sharing with you this morning that your perception might be the thing that brings that new reality. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I hope we see this this morning. That when we know you and we view you rightly as the God of glory, God who longs to save us, you change us. And you change our perspective of you. And in doing so, not only do you change us, you change our perspective of ourselves. And you give us spiritual eyes to see with an eternal perspective other people. Not just as people who are bothersome, annoying, troubling, sad, hopeless, thoughtless. But as people who need to have the eternal perspective rush into their lives. People who need their faith, their hope, and their love directed towards Jesus, where they can find satisfaction in all of them. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would use us as a church, use us individually, Lord, to reach out in faith and hope and love with people. Give us the courage to do so. Help it start with just thinking through those two friends on our list. Lord, what are they struggling with? What's the question that their life is begging to ask. How can I take that and start a conversation with them? Help us. Jesus, we need your help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.